0: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of The Pod People. I am Eugene Lundin, and I am joined by my good friends, Matisse Van Rossum. Hello. And Ben Sheets over here. Welcome to Spook City. Are you feeling a little chilly? Do you need a blanket? Well, too bad. That
1: blanket is a ghost. <laughs> Spook City is like Suplex City, but way scarier. Brock Lesnar is there, though.
0: And now you may be wondering what we're going to be doing here in Spooky City. We're going to be talking about horror movies. The spookiest of times will be had. So you better be prepared to scream and shout and to stimulate your mind with our lovely discussions.
1: And piss your pants. Lots of peeing.
0: And if you don't piss your pants, be sure to comment and let us know so that we can do better next time. Because we want to get those trousers soaked.
1: If you're not pissing your pants, we're not doing our job. Exactly. So, uh,
2: let's just jump into the news, guys. Uh, So, first thing I want to talk about, It.
0: Oh, that's right. It's
2: just become the highest grossing horror movie of all time. For uh, R-rated horror
0: movies, that is. I'm surprised that it hasn't beaten out Passion of the Christ yet for just highest grossing R-rated movie. So, it's still got a ways to go until it can beat that, but shit, The Exorcist. That's right. That's a big leap right there. I didn't even know that was the highest grossing horror movie.
2: Well, I've s I have i have not seen it yet, but you both have. Yes, we um, did go see oh, it yes.
1: a couple of weeks ago. The yeah. big
2: thing I wanna ask is does it deserve all that hype, you know? It's a big movie, but is it like exorcist level
1: well, that's Enigma? A, that's, that's an interesting question because I I enjoyed this movie a lot. I'm a big Stephen King fan. I've read the book several times since high school. Um, seen the 1990 made-for-TV movie a few times. Um, and I, I thought this movie was really well done. Um, it definitely falls into a lot of, like, the tropes of modern horror. A bunch of jump scares accompanied by loud noises. But I think it uh, i think it really did the novel justice, especially compared to uh, the Tim Curry movie. Um, but... In terms of the Exorcist, do I think it will surpass that legacy that I don't know about? because the Exorcist was really groundbreaking for its time. It was something that people hadn't seen before, and you know people were walking out of the theater because it was too scary, they were getting freaked out, you know and uh, and I, I just I don't think it has done anything really groundbreaking for the genre. I think the reason it's surpassed The Exorcist is just because the huge nostalgia factor. Everybody loves the book and loves the old movie and loves Tim Curry as Pennywise, and they've been hyping this movie up for the last few years. So I think uh, I think the hype is really uh, what got it to the point that it's at.
2: Well, I'm definitely one of those people that love Tim Curry in the original. Does uh, Martin, Martin Skarsgård? Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård. One of the many scars guards. Yeah, one of the twenty-seven scars guards. I think you could call it a
0: dynasty at this point. (laughs) Yes, I I think dynasty is the proper word.
2: Scars guards dynasty. They're even stronger than the Clintons. The the scars guards guard. Anyways, uh yeah. does he do as good of a job as
1: Tim Curry? They they do very different things. Sure. Um Tim Curry definitely plays up the goofiness a lot more than Bill Skarsgård does. Um I think I think Skarsgård actually did a great job. He's much creepier than Tim Curry. Like Tim Curry's great. He's got the the charisma required, but He's not a particularly scary villain, and he's also extremely ineffectual at doing what he does, because in that movie, pretty much every scene is him popping up and scaring the kids and then just allowing them to calmly walk out of the room and get away from him. So he's not great at, you know, eating children like he's supposed to. Whereas Bill Skarsgård, I think, pulls that off a lot better.
2: There's a lot of weird stuff in the original movie. Like, that whole, like, second uh, part. You know, it's like a TV 2 part Well, right, 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 right. And the second part is all just, like, a
1: dinner party they're having. And that is extremely, tonally inconsistent from the rest of the movie. Yeah, I... Don't get me wrong i have I have a lot of love for that old movie, but man, it really goes downhill in that second half a lot um, yeah, what did you, what do yeah. you think Eugene?
0: Well, I'm sorry I have to say this, but I completely agree. <laughs> I feel the same way for the most part actually I think that I there are a lot of parts in it that I love that I think are really great. I love all the all the kids and how they all just get along with each other. I thought that was all done very well. But none of the scares really worked for me. I didn't find any of them very effective, but I think that there certainly are a lot of people that do. And especially with The Exorcist, I think that they might find that movie ineffective. They might think that this isn't scary at all. Why did people find this so good? Why was this the highest grossing R-rated movie? And they might love it for the things that they did. So... I think it just comes down to jump scares work for more people than they do for me.
1: Right. And I I agree with that wholeheartedly. I don't find jump scares particularly effective. And it's a shame that horror movies these days have sort of, uh, you know, come to rely on them more than anything else. Because there's a big difference between being startled and being scared. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, you see with... The divide between a lot of people with it follows. A lot of people love that movie. I love that movie. I I think it's great. But a lot of people just were bored by it. They couldn't understand what was so scary about it. They just thought it was dumb because they didn't find the creature scary, I guess, because they never felt scared by just that presence. Where for me, I thought that was
1: terrifying. Just. Oh, yeah, that I I agree. It's you. that existential dread of no matter what you do, this thing's going to be following you, and it's going to catch up with you at some point. It's, you know, like your own impending death. There's You can run from it, but you can't ever escape it, and I think that's way more horrifying than, you know, something jumping out of a dark space. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, it might get my heart rate up, and I'm going to jump, but... It doesn't have any lasting effect. That's just being startled, not being scared.
2: We'll have to do a It Follows review sometime. Yes, I think future. that would be a good because retrospective. Because we all love that movie, and we could all talk about it for hours. Ad yeah, yeah, yeah. we, nauseum. No we, we shouldn't that.
1: get too off topic um, with that.
2: <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, Eugene, my- uh, going off of what you were saying earlier, uh, It is a big movie. You know,
0: uh, Do you think we'll get more clown horror movies now? I think that this will probably just cause an increase in more Stephen King adaptations. Yes. That's sort of my feeling. I how...
1: I agree with you 100%. I think we probably are going to see some, some more killer clowns, but I don't think anything that's done with any sort of, you know, real finesse. I think it's going to be very cheap. But is,
2: is now the time for the killer clowns from Outer Space remake? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: God. They would be I hadn't fooled. even <laughs> thought, thought about it. that. Oh, too. man.
2: Oh, God. They I. I hope they don't uh, do that. How horrible would it be if they tried to do a gritty, realistic color I, clouds from outer
0: I space? Cannot I cannot
1: even imagine. I would love that. Oof. See
0: i didn't see it when i was younger or anything but i did see killer clowns from outer space so that was my it i would love to see (laughs) that get turned into a a remake and be gritty and done well Gritty and dark yeah there we go get the guy who did it follows on that one i think it would be fantastic (laughs) that sounds just
1: dreadful but yes i think eugene brings up a good point i think we're gonna start seeing a lot of stephen king adaptations this is already the second one of the year with uh, the release of the Dark Tower, which totally flopped.
2: Shit, that's yeah, right, and
1: deservedly. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes. I, I haven't I haven't seen it, but I I can't imagine that it's very good. Yeah. Um, although I did hear there's talks of an HBO Dark Tower series, which I think could be good if it's done by the right people, because I think the Dark Tower is much more conducive to long form television. Considering that it's seven books long. Right, it's new long as hell, so. This new movie that just came out is supposed to be a sequel to the seven books, so I I've, don't know who they made that movie for.
2: I've never read the Dark Tower series, but it's always seemed like prime cocaine era Stephen King. It's
1: actually really good. I'm yeah. I'm about a third of the way through the fifth one. Oh right wow. Now. Yeah. I've been I've been reading them pretty voraciously and it's good. Well, I mean, he he wrote he started writing the first one when he was in college, and he finished the seventh one like ten years ago or something like that. So it's been something that has spanned basically his entire writing career. So you go
2: through the cocaine. You air. go you go <laughs>
1: through the cocaine fueled <laughs> Stephen King phase. Oh, um, it's not nearly as cokey as uh as it is. As much as I love that book, there's definitely a lot of him throwing spaghetti at the wall. Um, Most of it sticks, though. Yeah, a lot of it does, but... (laughs) And certainly enough (sighs) sticky spaghetti to make
0: a good remake of the whole thing. Didn't Stephen King also write The Running Man? He did,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. I always forget about that. That's very Um, weird to me. It was under the name Richard Bachman.
1: Right. Um, It was one of his pen names, because back in the day, it was apparently uh, considered blasé to release more than one book per year. (laughs) Something like like that, yeah. So, uh... If he wrote more than one novel in a year, he would just release the additional ones under a pen name. So people wouldn't think, oh, Stephen King is just cranking out trash. All right, well, I think uh, that probably about wraps up our news segment, unless you guys have anything else. Yes, it was good, but
0: it was okay! And I think that's everything that we need to say about the movie.
1: I would I would recommend it. If you haven't seen oh, it, oh, yeah. I would say see it. It's I... It's definitely one of my... One of my favorite movies of the year so far. I'm definitely planning on
2: seeing it as soon as I can. So,
1: Alright, so moving on. This week, our theme for the show is Bad Mothers and Motherhood in Horror. Mm-hmm. So we are going to start out by talking about Darren Aronofsky's new film, Mother. Oh boy! And yeah. you have to say it that way because it has an exclamation mark on the end. And apparently that is supposed to convey the tone of the movie. So Ben, why don't you tell us about Mother? Oh God, I gave myself the summary task
2: for this one, but it's going to be a challenge. So Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem are living in a remote house and uh, Javier Bardem plays this kind of reclusive poet uh jennifer lawrence is his housewife and jennifer lawrence is rebuilding this house
1: which is uh javier bardem's childhood home that was destroyed in a fire yes so and... she is uh she's repairing it and doing the renovations all by herself while he tries to force himself to write but he is consumed with writer's block
2: yep and out of nowhere, Ed Harris shows up, and he's a doctor, and he thinks the house is a bed and breakfast, so he wants to stay there. Javier Bardem welcomes him in. Jennifer Lawrence is very against this, um, but she's kind of brushed aside. Ed Harris's wife shows up. And as the movie goes on and on, more and more people show up. And yeah, shit just gets wild. I, I don't really know how much I should go into... Anything beyond that, be, before we'll going we'll get in
1: we'll get into that spoiler at some point. territory. Yeah, we will definitely get into spoiler uh-huh. territory. But um, for now, I think that's a, a good basic summary. But yeah,
2: general thoughts. What did you guys, I know what you guys thought of this movie. You guys <laughs> both didn't like it, and no. I'm gonna be the one. I'm gonna be the the mother defense force here. Well, good.
0: They're good. We need because, someone like that. Because, yeah, somebody uh, had to. You
2: know, like it. I. I I'll agree with you guys. Mother was a dumb, dumb movie. I like, found
1: it very, very frustrating. Yeah. I I I will go ahead and say that I was never bored, but I just grew more and more frustrated throughout the movie. Um I th- I think I think this is a good time to broach what this movie is really about. If you, haven't, if you haven't read anything about it or interviews with Aronofsky or anything like this, you may not know. But Mother is an allegory. It is a retelling of stories from the Bible. Javier Bardem as the poet is God. Jennifer Lawrence is Mother Earth, hence why the movie is called Mother. Ed Harris is Adam... His wife, Michelle Pfeiffer, is Eve. The house they live in is representative of Earth. The symbols in this movie are extremely heavy-handed. What frustrates me so much about this movie is that there is no story outside of the allegory that it's trying to tell. It's not like taking characters that have their own personalities and feelings and trying to relate a tried-and-true story through them. Instead, it's just like, hey, let's very literally tell the story of the book of Genesis. I would totally agree with that. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, well, is, it's impossible, impossible to disagree. Is,
2: it worked for me not because of that, because that stuff didn't work for me. It worked for me because it was just a thrill ride. You know, it was one of the most entertaining theater experiences I've had in a while. Every time you thought this would be the peak of escalation, it would be like, "Fuck you! Let's do a left turn and ramp it up five notches." And that was every like ten minutes, five ten minutes. It would just ramp itself up to the point where, yes, it
1: except for that, except for that one uh, weird slump in the middle of the movie where it de escalated sharply. Yes, that okay. I thought was extremely ineffective.
2: We might as well just jump into talking about
1: that We'll we'll go ahead and say from this point out everything could potentially lead us into spoiler territory. Okay. Well I'd say it, let's let's leave it open ended. So I but, will
2: say right now, if you wanna go see mother, go see it. Go see it, it with your grandma. <laughs> it won't be an uncomfortable movie experience. <laughs> Uh, I, I want to go off in a tangent for a second okay. here, just to talk about how you shouldn't see it with any family members, only because I have made that mistake with Aronofsky earlier. You should absolutely um, see it with I, your most
1: conservative, clothes. minded
2: inadvertently uh, saw Black Swan with my dad, and let's just Classy. say... That very sensual scene with <laughs> with uh, Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman. Very uncomfortable with the, with your father sitting right next to you, uh, groaning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I don't recommend it Zero out of ten, would not recommend at all
1: So basically to give a little more context to the story So we can talk about this Yes, now
2: world. we are in actual spoiler yes. territory so. so
1: yeah, as Ben said, Ed Harris shows up Believing their house to be a bed and breakfast On the outside Turns out he's actually a diehard fan of Javier Bardem's work and use this as an excuse to be able to spend time with him. And Ed Harris shows up alone first, since he is supposed to be portraying Adam. And then we have a scene where he is puking in the bathroom, and we see Javier Bardem holding his side, and he's got, like, this big, like, nasty-looking gash hole in his side on his rib cage. And then guess what? Surprise! The next day... Eve shows up in the form of Michelle Pfeiffer. So that was not subtle. Michelle Pfeiffer does a great job, but um, there's not much to that character other than she likes getting drunk. And telling Jennifer Lawrence that she uh, she needs to go ahead and have some babies and be sexier with Javier Bardem. <laughs> and there's this really neat scene where they're doing laundry in the basement and Michelle Pfeiffer makes fun of Jennifer Lawrence's granny panties and shows off some of her own lingerie and says, you, uh, you should get some stuff like this. But anyway, that's besides the point. Then um, uh, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer's children show up. They're two sons, who uh, three guesses who they're supposed to represent because they get in a fight about inheritance or something, and then one of them dramatically kills the other in Jennifer Lawrence's living room. Right in front of Jennifer Lawrence. (laughs) Right in front of Jennifer Lawrence. And then the surviving brother, Kane. ...runs out into the woods and is not really seen again. Anyway, after this whole scene, they just decide to sort of have a memorial service at the house, and they show up with all of these guests, much to Jennifer Lawrence's dismay, because she just wants to you know, be kept to herself with her husband and just have a quiet, peaceful life. But all these people come in and start being extremely rude and breaking stuff in the house. They all want to try to
2: take something to keep yes. as a keepsake keeps for their sake. own. Because Javier Bardem is a legendary poet. Blah, 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 blah. Everyone is busting into their house. Is that before or after Jennifer Lawrence gets knocked
1: up. That is before it happens. Immediately after that, because if you recall, there's a uh, they the people in the house break a water main, and that is uh, really the straw that breaks the camel's back. And Jennifer Lawrence finally screams everybody out of the house, and then gets into a fight with Javier Bardem, which ends with my favorite and least favorite line in the whole movie, which is. You talk about wanting kids, but you won't even fuck me. <laughs> and, well, then they do go fuck. And Jennifer Lawrence gets knocked up immediately. So, yes, at the, the whole movie up till this point has been escalation with all the multiple people showing up and Jennifer Lawrence can't get them out of the house and Javier Bardem is being uh, very blasé about the whole situation. And then... After this, there's, like, this slump of no action where Jennifer Lawrence gets pregnant. Everything is A-OK for a little while. They're happy. It skips to, like, nine months we later. Should, we
2: should emphasize, though, that they have sex once, and immediately yes. when she wakes up, she's like, I'm pregnant. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. I, I thought that was extremely silly. She Yeah, they have sex once, and then cut to the next morning. She wakes up and then rolls over and whispers in Javier Bardem's ear, I'm pregnant. And he's like, how do you know? And she's like, I just know. I thought that was extremely corny. And then after this, you know, what is it in in terms of the runtime? Maybe five or ten minutes in the movie? Where everything is peachy keen for a little while, and then it just starts ramping up again.
2: Yeah, they take like five, ten minutes to fix the house a little bit. Right, they still don't
1: ground the sink.
2: They <laughs> still, they still
1: don't ground the sink. Um, and in this time, uh, Javier Bardem is I- immediately after they have sex, he is inspired to write again. Apparently, Jennifer Lawrence's vagina cures writer's block. And he immediately starts working on his next great work, which I guess in the context of the film can be considered the New Testament. His first is the old and his second is the new. And then so after this point, everybody starts showing up to the house again in enormous waves. And they start breaking things and taking stuff. And Javier Bardem is just reveling in all of this attention, saying, Oh, it's brilliant. They all interpret my work in different ways. Well, we should emphasize one thing, too. Once he finishes writing the
2: poetry... He, like, shows it to Jennifer Lawrence, and she's like, this is beautiful.
1: And then he's like, oh, yeah, I already sent this to my publisher. (laughs) My my publisher, Kristen Wig. Kristen Wig is his publisher. That is probably one of the strangest casting choices for a movie I've ever seen. It
2: works so well for me, though, in a way, because you don't expect it, and it just adds to the pure, like, left turn escalation. And when you see Kristen Wig in anything... Like, Kristen Wiig's great, but... It, when you see her in anything, you think Kristen Wiig. You don't think any other person or character. You think Kristen Wiig. Right. So. You think
1: you think SNL.
2: Yeah. And so when you see her, it just derails it even more. And that's why it works. In a me. movie
1: that's not even supposed to be mildly comical. Extremely serious see, you drama. know, I
2: don't know if I agree with that. I, well, no, 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 I, no.
1: I definitely laughed at times because of how ridiculous things were. But you know good and damn well that Aronoff did not intend this movie to be funny. You know good and damn well he was taking it very seriously. Who cares
2: about intention? First off, The Room was meant to be a serious drama. But if you read Mother as a comedy, I think it works better than as a serious movie. I can kind of agree with that. And that's why it worked for me. I saw it as kind of just a horror comedy fever dream where it just keeps escalating and
0: escalating yeah um well, what do you think eugene I would not recommend this, don't (laughs) see this in theaters, pirate it if you do have the interest. Uh, That's my
1: recommendation anyway, because I I was not a fan. I I was not a fan of this movie either, I found it very frustrating, but I would actually disagree with you. I would say if there's anywhere to see it, to get any sort of enjoyment out of it, it's in the theaters. Uh, But then if you gotta pay, then it it
0: cancels each other out, then it's not worth it for me. Maybe in a second round theater. Yeah, maybe, yeah a, maybe in a go, second run. Theater. Go go on a matinee
1: or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go go to Do a matinee. Like don't don't spend more than like 8 bucks going to this. But see you won't TV. have a good time. You won't have a good time. Oh, man, this I movie can't... I
0: I can't even like it on that comedic level. I think it's just so it's just a shitty feeling that you get throughout the whole thing and sure I think that the acting is all good and well and all, but I don't like the message. I didn't appreciate how it was delivered and I feel like a lot of the people that are talking about it positively seem to talk about it for the reasons I hate it. And so it seems yes, like that's whoever true. the movie is made for, I do not align with their tastes. So. Mother
2: defense force coming in. Uh, okay. <laughs> Wouldn't you say it's entertaining, though? I mean, like, in the escalation, it was entertaining to see how off the rails it got.
0: I mean, certainly, yeah, things got crazy, but I didn't feel like it... Was a enough to make the film worth seeing? I think that's my problem. And if it's all just about the shock value, I mean, I could watch a trauma film or something like that. But I don't want Darren Aronofsky, who I really like. I like a lot of his movies, even Requiem for a Dream and Pie. I really enjoy. I didn't like the delivery, and I felt like it was just really patronizing
1: throughout all the way. I also think that... I w- it would have been more effective for me if it had really pushed the surrealism more throughout the whole movie because it's pretty grounded for the most part, at least in the, like the first act, maybe midway into the second act. But then it all really flies out the window in the third act, which is frankly my favorite part of the movie, but I don't think it properly built up to that point, if you're gonna go really way far out there, super surreal, then I think you should set a sort of precedent for that from the very beginning. I
2: think they do, though, with the crystal and the oh, let's touch the wall of the house, which is
1: actually a heart. But it's but that it's decays. not. It's not. <laughs> it's not enough. It's not enough um, for those who haven't seen it to contextualize what Ben is saying. It, the the very beginning of the movie starts with a, a shot pushing in on Jennifer Lawrence's face as she's on fire. She's burning. And then we see Javier Bardem place this little crystal on a stand in front of a mirror. And the whole house goes from being burned down into being whole again. It's like running back time. It immediately establishes an element of the supernatural... That it then does not pick up until the end of the movie. Yes, at times we see Jennifer Lawrence like pressing herself against the wall or the floor of the house and it like fades in and we see like this weird like heart thing beating and it gets more and more decayed throughout the movie. But it, that happens like maybe three or four times throughout the whole thing. And that, other than that, Everything is extremely grounded until the people start to show up after Javier Bardem has written his second great work.
2: See, I would disagree. I feel like it had to be grounded from the start. I see the movie is all about escalation. You know, you couldn't have escalation if you didn't start at, you know, kind of ground level. One thing I'll say about Aronofsky, though, in general, is he's really kind of a high art exploitation auteur in a way, in that all of his movies, or almost all of them, do exploitation-y things in them, but they're, they they kind of take themselves seriously, and a lot of people regard them as you know high cinematic art. I mean, look at Requiem for a Dream. That's totally an exploitation movie, especially in the third act. Right. It gets very, very edgy and transgressive. And that's kind of you know Aronofsky's mantra. Mother totally fits in that. It's you know in a way it's going for that higher art stuff, but deep down it's just an exploitation movie. And I think if but do you but
1: li- I, I want to take this back to to intention because I know ultimately intention doesn't matter. It's how it's the finished product is received. But do you think Aronofsky? intends these things to be exploitation like or do you think that he truly views it as high art because i think like i said before i think he takes mother extremely seriously to its detriment well
2: can it be both he he goes for the exploitationy stuff where it's entertaining but he's also trying for like a high art message with it even though it's really shallow as a message
1: Since seeing this movie, I can't stop thinking about a movie that did basically the same thing but I consider far more successful, and that is uh, the 1990 experimental horror film Begotten by Elias Marige. I, I love that movie, and it does exactly what Mother fails to do. It sets a precedent from the very beginning that you're getting into... That shit crazy territory like it begins with a shack in the woods where a figure who is supposed to be God is disemboweling himself with a straight razor and then Mother Earth comes along finds his dead body and uses his semen to impregnate herself and it just goes way off the rails from there and there's no dialogue pretty much the only thing you hear throughout the entire movie is the sound of crickets and nature and woods and you know it's shot in that really high contrast black and white 16mm super grainy super visceral and it tells basically the same story that mother's trying to but it does it in a much more like straightforward allegorical sense but totally surreal and it doesn't it doesn't try to make these people characters you know Aronofsky really fails to make us care about any of these characters. They don't have any sort of personality. You have no reason to relate to them. They're just very flat. They're more like caricatures to me.
2: Sure. Um, I th- Obviously, Begotten is a better movie than Mother. But I think they're very different at the same time. Because Begotten, you know, there's no real escalation in Begotten, I would argue. You know, it... I disagree. It it is very bad shit, but it does the uh, message and the themes of it
1: more effectively. I mean, there's definitely more of a, you know, sort of upward arc with Mother. Begotten has has it somewhat but i i i think begotten is better is cuz like i said it sets a precedent for what you're getting into from the very beginning it doesn't pretend to be something that it's not which i think mother does i i like the fact that mother does that in a way
2: because it kind of reminds me of like spring breakers you know spring breakers it advertised itself as you know the spring break teen rebellion movie but really is kind of an art film
1: yes definitely and, i know i hadn't thought of it that way and you're right but that being said spring breakers is a much better
2: movie. no it's it's a fantastic movie go see spring breakers if you haven't seen it but uh mother is the same kind of thing you know it's advertised as this high art film and really it's just an exploitation
1: movie <laughs> which i which i do think is pretty great i love how divisive this movie is Because I think it's a great prank on the wide audience. Because it does definitely advertise itself as something that it's not. At least in in trailers. And I can see how people go into it expecting a high art movie. And then are totally turned off by what it actually is. And I think that's really funny.
2: Yeah, and that's why it works as a, a kind of a comedy for me in a way. In more kind of a metatextual way. I also I have to commend Paramount for having the fucking balls to give Darren Aronofsky such a huge budget for this batshit fever dream of a movie. Yeah. Like I can't imagine any other big studio doing
0: that. Well, it's just it's strange how much Noah made his last movie compared to everything else that he's done because they usually... Yeah, I haven't seen Noah. I haven't
2: seen Noah either. I didn't realize it made so much money, though. It
0: made like $150 or something worldwide, and I guess that's what got producers saying, hey, this Darren Aronofsky guy, he can do all this uh, high art stuff and still make a lot of money off of people. I think it's
1: see if lightning can strike twice with mother... I think it's safe to say that Darren Aronofsky certainly has some religious (laughs) hang-ups, to say the very least. Do you guys want to talk about the probably most out-there and divisive part of this whole movie, since we haven't gotten into that at all? Yes. Okay. Okay. So, after all of these people show up to essentially worship Javier Bardem and are tearing apart the house... Jennifer Lawrence goes into labor and locks herself in Javier Bardem's office, which is supposed to be the Garden of Eden. And she gives birth. And after several days, Javier Bardem takes the baby while she's sleeping to show it to his worshippers. And they proceed to promptly take the baby and eat it. Well, let's let's preface this. They they
2: do like a wave thing with it. Yeah, like, like, a, like, a, it, it stage, like a stage, like a stage. Yeah, the baby
1: starts crowd surfing and, and just starts peeing and all over, it's pissing everyone. all over the place. Um, which was an interesting choice <laughs> for me. Um, it it made me it made me laugh, and I, I don't think I was supposed to laugh at that. Oh, man. Um. But yeah, so the baby is crowd surfing and pissing, and then they kill it and I tear it apart snap, with their bare snap. hands, and everybody is eating pieces of this baby. So guess what that's supposed to be? It's communion, obviously. And uh, and at this point, the, that's, that's way too much for Jennifer Lawrence, as it would be for anybody, I think. And it then gets into my favorite, maybe 30, 45 seconds of the movie, where she picks up a piece of broken glass and just starts stabbing everybody around her, which is the first time I could relate to anybody in this entire <laughs> movie. When she did that, I started in the theater, sitting there nodding my head, going, yes, fuck yes, yeah, yes. Same with me. <laughs> because I think this reaction of hers needed to happen way fucking sooner. But what what do you what do you guys I'm curious what do you guys think about that whole scene with the death of the baby the act of communion and then Jennifer Lawrence just going batshit and stabbing people Even in the theater I just imagine all these
2: bougie film snobs I only see foreign films <laughs> Watching this movie, expecting something high art and getting to that point, and it just made me crack up in the theater that was fucking hilarious for me in yeah. that respect. It was over the top, and it seemed like the crux of escalation.
1: you can't really top that well right um, and and you never and you never really do in a no, movie you don't was the pissing necessary, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was, it was, was, the ba- was the baby <laughs> piss necessary?
0: Well, for me, I I didn't even see the baby getting torn apart scene as very uh, divisive. Because there's so much chaos that happens before any of that actually happens. That's around the point when you start having all of these these people murdering each other, tearing each other apart, locking them in cages... And right. So... But
1: but violence against children and particularly infants is for a lot of filmmakers a line that they won't cross. You know? Well, um, I think not, and I, I I don't have a problem with filmmakers who do cross that because I mean it's a it's a fact of life. Sometimes bad shit happens to kids and it's it's a part of reality. I think it's commendable when filmmakers are willing to cross that line because it's definitely a way to really shock your audience, like if you want to shock your audience, that's a cheap
0: trick to kill me. A baby. I think that anyone can use a, a dead kid. I mean, In Bruges uses the death of a child and actually tries to form
1: something around that. Well, I, I mean, there's, there's also, within the context of this movie, it's obvious, you know, it's supposed to continue the allegory. The yes, baby, the but baby so is, I don't commend it on that level baby because I know what it's supposed to mean. Yeah, the baby is Jesus who God gives to the people to sacrifice, and then they consume the body and blood of Christ, blah, 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 blah. And so
0: it's almost like it was expected to happen as soon as that baby got out there, so it didn't shock me in any way.
1: I, I guess, just I guess the, like more, the more shocking well. thing than anything else— because you're not wrong. It is predictable when you know the baby's supposed to be Jesus. Okay, the baby's gonna die. I think it's just, like, the image of seeing, like, the, the dismembered corpse of the baby on the altar and people, like, shoveling bits of baby into their mouth and, like, dripping blood and shit. I think that's what's what's supposed to be shocking. Yeah. Well, it it didn't get me. I guess it must have gotten other people that... Oh, sure. Well, because... I mean, that's why... That's the point where a lot of people walked out of that movie. I think, uh, I think we would be remiss to not talk about the bad, bad ending of this movie. Yes, we should talk about the <clears throat> so, perplexing, weird,
2: yes. weird ending.
1: After this point where the baby is killed, Jennifer Lawrence decides she's had enough, understandably so. She goes down into the basement where she, earlier in the movie, found some uh, barrels full of oil or gas or whatever. And she sets the house on fire and blows it up and kills all of these fucking people in the house. And then Javier Bardem, untouched because he's God, pulls her charred, barely living body from the remains, reaches his hand into her chest... And pulls out the crystal that we see in the very beginning of the movie. And he places it in its stand, and the whole house brings itself back together, just like the very first thing we see. A new woman, not Jennifer Lawrence, wakes up in the bed, and therefore it brings the entire thing full circle. And I thought that was garbage. I thought it was really dumb too. Yeah, that was the final nail for me. I mean, yeah, that was that was my I rolled my eyes so hard that they almost got stuck in the back of my head.
0: <laughs> it certainly did just add a wonderful crappy cherry on top of what I thought was a pretty crappy shit Sunday.
2: So. <laughs> Man, yeah, like the cyclical stuff was like the the biggest problem I had with it. Like they they did that a few
1: times during
2: the movie. I don't
1: know yeah. where like
2: the house. There was a, that shot of the house regenerating in the middle of the movie.
1: Right, while she was reading uh, his, new, his new poem yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that didn't make any sense at all, why they threw that in there. No, I thought all of the cyclical stuff was really clumsy, and it yes. really
0: took away from all of it,
2: more so than anything else for me. Right,
0: because it steps that line from, okay, maybe this still could recover itself, and it ends up just being one of those situations where it has that layer in reality but that's the point when it takes it all the way to just, this right. is a it's, allegory too.
1: It's this whole cyclical thing. God creates, he creates man, man comes in and destroys the earth. God has to start over. right? Because it starts the movie the same way it ends, we're supposed to believe that this is something that has happened over and over and over again. And because the woman is different every time, it's like a new earth every time or whatever, something, some bullshit like that. Or you
0: could read it the other way, that it's Darren Aronofsky just uh, not taking care of his wife, Rachel Weisz, and then that (laughs) falling apart, and then it starts over with Jennifer Lawrence, and he gets to (laughs) continue the pattern, the troubled
1: artist trying to not... That's true because they, I, I believe they are like dating yes. now. Darren Aronofsky and Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. So. Oh man! Um, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. That's a man. That's really, really fucking funny if you think about it that way. But I think, I think having to bookend the whole movie with like this whole cyclical nature thing is just really bad because it doesn't leave any room for like contextual character development. And I'm not saying that we need like exposition about who these people are and were up until this point but because we don't get any idea of who they are it makes it really hard to care about them you know all the characters are so flat and i think the acting is solid across the board yeah but i think this is one of the greatest wastes of javier bardem's talent i've probably ever seen i love him i think he's great like, No Country for Old Men is one of my favorite movies, and I think he does a stellar job in that. And in this, there's just, I don't think he has enough to do. His character's not interesting. We don't get to really see him, like, show off his acting chops that yeah. he really
0: has. Right, because outside of the fact that he's supposed to be playing God, I mean, then he, he he's just a pretentious poet, at the most part. So. Right, and we never... Which I guess is Darren Aronofsky. We... <laughs> Yeah, God.
1: <laughs> we so never, that's what he is. and that's the thing too. We never get any sort of indication of what his work is like and why people love it so much. You know,
2: I I, think, I do like that it doesn't expand too much and it keeps it kind of
1: from Jennifer Lawrence's perspective. This movie's too general in its allegory. It's way way too general. Yeah, an allegory is is a new way of telling an old story, you know? And this is basically just a very straightforward retelling of stories from the Bible. It's, yeah. way, too, it's way too general, and I don't care about any of it because of that. Should we, uh, should we rate this piece of trash? Yes. Um, I'll let you guys start because I know my rating will be much different. (laughs) All right, Eugene, we'll, we'll start with you. How many pods out of five would you give Mother? Oh, God.
0: For me, I thought the story was patronizing. I thought that the shocking imagery in the movie really got tiresome after a while. The performances were good, although they are, uh, wasted just on this film, so... I'm gonna be nice, and I'll have to just
1: give it. Uh, uh, I'll give it a one and a half out of five. I will. Uh, I will give it the two out of five that you won't give it. I okay. give it. I give it one pod for the the acting and one for the look because it it visually I think it looks very nice. It's it's a very it's a very pretty film to look at. Um, so I thought the cinematography and camera work was good, but other than that. So, 2 out of 5 pods for me and last but not least, what about you Ben? I'm going to play the contrary and
2: I I'm going to rate it 4 pods out of 5.
1: 4 out wow. of 5. Yeah. Holy um,
2: shit. Okay. You must hate it. It was one of the most entertaining movies I've seen in the theater. I like that it kind of just made people eat shit. I'll I'll call it the Freddy Got Fingered syndrome, which I also hate. Um but I oh, thought man. It was one of the most entertaining movies of the year. Yeah, it was just a lot of fun. It was a dumb movie, and I'll totally agree with you guys on that. But the ride that it took us on is worth the price of admission, in my opinion. I Sorry.
1: would say I would say, if you go see this movie, go see it with a couple of friends. Because yes. it is guaranteed to generate a pretty hefty amount of conversation. And odds are you will not all have the same opinion across the board, because we sure did not. Absolutely yes. not. So it is, it is just as divisive as they've been saying. So if you want to see something divisive, go see it. Take your grandma to go see it. She'll probably <laughs> love it.
0: Yeah, there you go. It's like how Gone Girl was supposed to end relationships. This is going to end contact with your grandparents. Yes, if
1: you hate your grandparents and you never want to speak to them ever again, take them to go see Mother and don't worry. You will not get any more birthday cards with a check for $10. There you go.
2: (laughs) Before we move on, I want to give a little self-plug, self-plug, self-plug. My last short film is very similar to Mother in a lot of ways. I might put it public on Vimeo after we release this just so you can look at all the similarities.
1: They're very similar. I almost leaned over to Ben while we were watching this movie and said, hey, I think Darren Aronofsky ripped off your idea. Yeah, check that out.
2: Paramount, give me money so I can do it better. <laughs> but, okay, one and a half from Eugene, two oh, from yes. Matisse, and four from me. Yep. That gives it an overall rating of two and a half out of five pods. Um, so right in the middle of the road. Right in the middle uh, of the road. Right where it belongs in exactly a way. Exactly where it know?
1: belongs. I I could not have put it in a more perfect place. Let's move on.
2: Uh, In honor of Mother... We blindly picked three mother-themed horror movies yeah, to talk mama about. Mama Gun murder.
1: <laughs> bad
2: mamas.
1: Mama just killed a man. She's, you know that song, She's a Bad mama Jamma? It's kind of like that. We are now <laughs> going to uh, move on. We're each going to briefly uh, lead a discussion on one of these three movies that we saw. So I'm going to start things out with... Um, Mama, Mama by Andy Muschietti, who, uh, incidentally, also the director of It. Yep, Danny Spaghetti. Danny he's, Sp- real, he's hitting a big right now. Danny Spaghetti is, no, he's doing good. Um, so this movie came out in 2013, and it was uh, produced by Guillermo del Toro after he saw a short film by the same name on YouTube directed by Andy Muschietti and his sister Barbara. And so they adapted this uh, Lights Out style into a feature-length film starring Nikolai Koster-Waldau of Game of Thrones fame and Jessica Chastain of Jessica Chastain fame. (laughs) They are a couple who have spent several years scouring the woods for Nikolai's nieces who were kidnapped by his suicidal brother, twin brother, I should say. After five years, they find them living in this uh, abandoned house in the woods, and the girls have resorted to an almost feral state. Nikolai Koster-Waldau and Jessica Chestane bring them home to uh, begin rehabilitating them, but it turns out that when they were living alone in the woods, they were being taken care of by a supernatural spooky entity that they called Mama. 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 Yes. Mama, mama. and uh, this spooky entity has followed them back to civilization, and um, jump scares ensue galore. Jump scares galore. This excessive jump scares. This movie might as well be called "Jump Scare the Movie" because that is about all it boils down to. Gosh, there's probably at least one jump scare every. What maybe ten minutes in this movie, if not more frequently at times. So, what did what, what were your guys' general thoughts on this movie? Because I I saw it. I remember seeing it when it came out. I went to see it in theaters. Um, I thought the short film was uh was pretty cool. There not much to it. It's like less than three minutes. You know, very simple. But for a low budget short film, I thought it was you know pretty effective. But I I think it's one of those things where it's hard to carry that sort of concept into a feature-length film without it seeming trite.
2: It has la- uh, lights-out syndrome. Yes. You know, both of those had very, very short films, and they just can't materialize
1: well into a feature length. These uh, bigger studios and directors give these independent filmmakers an opportunity to convert one of their films into a feature length. I think that's very cool, and at least for um, <clears throat> for uh, Andy Muschietti, it has paid off because he, you know, has now helmed It, chapter one. I don't know if yeah. he's going to be directing the second one, but I, I, think, he is. I think he did a much better job ...on It than he did on Mama.
2: Oh, shit. I didn't realize Anthony Bugatti
1: directed It. (laughs) Anthony Bugatti, uh, Danny Spaghetti, did indeed (laughs) direct both Mama and It. Well,
0: shows that he must be doing something right because Mama, well, yeah, it's filled with a bunch of jump scares that aren't very effective at all. This also made a lot of money in the box office and was probably the reason why he got chosen to do It. Whether it just be that fact that people like getting startled, they like feeling that there's something scary happening on the screen every five, ten minutes, that it just keeps them interested enough... Rather than another movie that tries to build tension or suspense and just leaving them bored or wanting more. And
1: you know, I don't, I don't even think he's like incapable of creating a creepy atmosphere. Oh I think, no, I think that's I think what he, makes him
0: so effective. I think is that he he's pulls it really He good pulls
1: that. that off both in Mama and It, and it just makes the jump scares feel so unnecessary because it's like. You can do way more with the atmosphere without the need to startle your audience. You know, and it's that it's always that same thing where something happens that you don't expect and it's accompanied by a loud noise. So, hey, you're supposed to be scared now. But I think the the more effective parts of mama are the parts that are without jump scares. It works better when it's played from the hip, for mm-hmm. sure. When Absolutely. it's more subtle.
2: Um, one thing I will say about this movie is it feels super dated. Oh I, I hell think it yeah. came out in like twenty thirteen, but mm-hmm. it feels like it came out in early mid two thousands.
0: Like, did we miss something in the beginning that it's actually all supposed to take place in the mid two
1: thousands and we just didn't catch it at all? I don't think so. I've seen this movie a couple of times.
2: Yeah, like, even fashion trends, like, right. Jessica and, and Chastain, and playing, oh, like, man. the white okay, stripes
1: yeah. well, and everything. We, we might as well talk about Jessica Chastain's character. <laughs> um, she is, like, this punk rock chick who plays in a band and, you know, very anti-establishment and just isn't down with, like, conventions of motherhood or taking care of kids or anything, you know? The whole thing is about, well, is she really fit to take care of these girls? And then we see at the end, yes, she is. Her, she has learned to love them and learned to be a good mom. And everything is so fucking cliche. Like, I know we, when we were watching this, we could not stop making jokes about how something would was not punk rock enough oh, yeah. for Jessica Chastain.
2: <laughs> I want to emphasize that Jessica Chastain has a rat
1: tail. For it. She only has a rat tail in like some scenes. Which and is weird. It, it, yeah, it's very weird. It was like, probably
0: a personal choice by her that the director did not like. <laughs> and so... it's,
1: it's a, I think it's a clip-on rat tail. That, uh, that, <laughs> very punk rock. Yeah, that's very punk rock. Because like sometimes she's got it and then sometimes she doesn't. What I,
0: I found surprising is this was the same year that Zero Dark Thirty came out. And so she managed to lead the box office in two wildly different movies. That is very weird. I did not realize that. Yeah. Yeah. So That's keep
1: bizarre. a lookout in Zero Dark Thirty. There's a rat tail in there somewhere. I guarantee it. And, you know, I think I think Jessica Chastain is, uh, you know, a pretty good actress. Oh, yeah. I, I've, I've definitely seen her in things where I thought she she kills it. And I think she does her best with what she's got in Mama. I just don't think she's working with a whole lot because her character is a living cliche. Right, yeah. and I think
0: because of that,
1: uh, you know, her don't-care
0: attitude, it just seems like she's tired or something for a lot of the movie. Just She just doesn't seem very into it or right. anything, and so hopefully that's just her character and not how she was actually feeling about the movie. Well, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I mean, it definitely could be a combination of the two because her character is uh, very apathetic towards most things, you know? She ends up getting thrust into the role of a mother after um, the ghost mama attacks Nikolai Kosser-Waldau, and he falls down the stairs and goes into a coma. So then she is forced to live at home with the girls and this uh, this very spooky ghost. You know, this is an, this is another one of those things, kind of like um, Mother, where I think the acting is, is pretty good for the most part, especially the kids, the little girls. I think they do a really good job, but <laughs> it's more so that the characters are... Pretty badly written, and so the actors don't have a whole lot to do with it. You know, um, I think the worst character in this entire fucking movie is the therapist. Can we talk about the therapist for a minute? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, he just makes some of the dumbest decisions ever. Yeah, right.
0: All for the sake of just pushing
1: the story ahead. Right. Just just for the sake of driving the plot forward. Like when he goes at, at night out to the cabin in the woods where they found the girls. To right. Try well, well, hold on. To, Should we, to try to, s- to s- dig. Spoiler up the-
0: spoiler warning, this movie's four years old, but doesn't mean <laughs> that everyone's seen it.
1: Yeah, well I mean I don't, think we, I don't think we need to give a spoiler warning for a movie that's any older than like a year old because if you haven't seen it at this point, then that's on you.
0: Spoiler um, warning redacted. Continue.
1: We're gonna get some pissed off tweets. <laughs>
0: don't add How me. dare you? You're telling me that you're gonna do mama spoilers for like a minute and I did not listen. Don't Are
2: you telling me that Jack Torrance dies at the end of the shining? <laughs> oh no
0: <laughs> shit. I haven't seen that movie, man. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so the therapist goes out to the to the fucking shack in the middle of the woods at night. And then we get that scene where his flashlight breaks because of ghosts or whatever. So he's using uh, the flash on his camera to uh, illuminate the room. And then he gets attacked by the ghost and killed. And that's the end of him. Thank God.
0: Yeah, and it's all dumb because at this point he already found the remains of her baby and shit well his plan i assumed were was to give back the remains but then he doesn't bring but he him doesn't, to but the not take
1: uh yeah uh retcon backtrack um the the reason this ghost is a ghost is because she like escaped from a mental institution or something and took her baby with her and was pursued by a torch carrying mob because that's what happens flung herself off of a cliff and died and so did the baby but the baby's remains got stuck in a tree so she can never rest until the remains of her baby are returned to her or whatever so she decides to uh start taking care of these two little girls who are you know lost in the woods what Um, a
2: great and appropriate portrayal of mental illness
1: right (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, apparently the baby's remains are just, like, in a shoebox, like, in some archive. <laughs> can we also, can we talk about the scene where the, the therapist goes to get the remains of the baby? And, like, the lady who's working at the archives is like, Do you know what a ghost is? Oh, and God. And gives that, like, really, like, this really long explanation of of what ghosts are. Ghost and the dude is just like, so. He's looking at her like so intently where, (laughs) as in real life, anybody who was listening to this nonsense would just be rolling their eyes and like trying not just be like, okay, lady, why don't you just give me those dead baby remains? This is the (laughs) second movie we're talking about where there's a dead baby. Have y'all noticed that? I know what a
2: dead baby is, woman. (laughs) Now give me the dead baby remains. We can't not talk about the Slap Chop. Yeah, oh, oh my
1: yeah. god. That that's, might be the most dated I thing think that's in the, the entire... Yeah, I think that's the most dated thing in the fucking movie. So it
0: makes me think, is this supposed to take place in the mid-2000s? Yeah, they're What's just... going they're, on?
1: They're at the hospital or something, and there's there's a commercial for Slap Chop on
2: I, the TV. I can't decide if that's the best editing or the worst editing ever. Literally right after one of the biggest jump scares in the movie, where like the dude is pushed down the stairs... And you don't know if he's dead or not. They'd go from him on the floor straight to Cut, Slap oh, Right, chop, to, smash
1: right. to Slap That is chop. exactly how it happened. Oh Jeez. my god. Yeah, that's... No, that definitely is the most dated thing <laughs> in this movie. Like, it came out in 2013, but, like, when was Slap Chop... it When was Slap Chop infomercials big? Like, 2006? Something like, like that.
2: Like, yeah. My boy, Vince... Getting his residuals, getting multiple his resi-
1: sources. He sure needs them after beating up all of those hookers. Yep, goddamn.
2: Now he can buy more hookers. Now he can. <laughs> no, oh,
1: that's right. He's getting his residuals from his cameo in Mama, so he can get more hookers to beat up. All right, so um, before we before we rate this, uh, let's talk about the uh the art direction and the sound design in this movie. Um, what did you guys think of that? I think this is actually one of the strongest aspects of this movie. No, I would agree with that. I think it all just helps to set up the
0: atmosphere of the film with all of that. It helps to elevate what would be a crappy movie in anyone else's hands into something that is entertaining
1: for the most part. Well, let's let's be more specific too and let's talk about the uh the titular ghost. Um, what did you think of that design of of Mama herself well, when- in terms of both uh, how she looks and how she sounds? Because how she sounds is very specific.
0: Well, apparently he based uh, the Mama off of these paintings, and it's actually... I'm pretty sure the
1: same influence in it. That painting is That's that. In- is that really true? Because I I saw an immediate parallel. Yeah, I don't I, I don't believe it's the same too.
0: paintings. I don't even know if the painting in it is actually by that artist or if they made it themselves. But yeah, the artist that Mama is based off of makes paintings very similar to that.
1: Okay, and that makes that, that makes, makes a whole lot of sense. Yes, that right, right, because you lot can lot y- you see that, because it's got the really weird potato shaped head like the elongated potato head and like the french fry arms and all that that like bend in weird directions and stuff like that right so Um, you can certainly tell that he's he's getting
0: an influence from somewhere personal and and with a a context behind it all and i think it it does work uh, especially the fact that it's played by an actual actor right just helps to helps with the movement and making it feel I like, no, more of a I think in
1: I think in terms of creature design, I think they they did a bang up job. At, like some parts in the movie that are like, or at least I found genuinely pretty pretty creepy, yeah. just because of the way she looks and sounds. Like I think the sound design for Mama is great, especially like those weird like croaking gasps and shrieks that she does are just really, really unsettling. Well, and the funny thing about the art design, it picks up a lot of the things that
2: the cinematography didn't really do for me. I I think the framing was effective. I thought the lighting was kind of bad. Yeah,
1: the the, I well I I don't think it was bad, but it didn't do anything special for me, you know? It
2: was so generic that it made It feel even more dated.
1: Well, like you said, it's got got, uh, lights out syndrome where you have a really tight short film that's based around a concept and then you're given a lot of money to figure out how to adapt that into an entire movie. It's not the worst until the very end. I think the ending gets so absolutely ridiculously corny It feels like a fucking Disney movie. And it's just so over the top and so overly sentimental, and I hated it.
0: Yeah, I hated it too. It was one of those instances where the ending, I think, really weakened a lot of the rest of the movie because it just left... You so unsatisfied and just love wondering, was that really how
1: they thought this would have been an appropriate way to end it? And apparently there's a sequel in the works and I don't know what the fuck they're going to do with that. Daddy. (laughs) It's just the ghost of uh, Hugo Weaving from Hacksaw Ridge. I'm gonna have to beat you now, (laughs) and the the ghost just uh, flies around hitting people with a belt. Um, No
0: shit, I would I would watch that. I would watch that that, too. Actually,
1: can yeah, you uh, got me excited. uh, for Andy Andy Muschietti, can we get that movie? Can we get uh, please uh, Danny Muschietti? Go weaving from Hacksaw Ridge, beating people with the belt. Get Bloomhouse on the phone right now. (laughs) Yes, Um, let's. uh, I think we've pretty well wrapped up, Mama. Let's give it a rating. Eugene, how many pods out of five? Well, see, I'm going to
0: switch it up. I'm going to do it out of Mama's. Just to... (laughs) Okay. Because I want to know how... How many moms out of five would you give Mama? I think the jump scares I did not find very effective. I thought that there were just a lot of really bad choices being made near the ending. I still... Liked uh, the art design. I liked uh, all the actors for the most part. I think I'm gonna give it three mamas out of mama, just uh, middle of the road for me.
1: Nice. I I'm going to go along with you and also give it three out of five mamas. It's definitely not perfect. It leaves a lot to be desired, but it uh it does it does some things right. And you always got to give I, credit to
0: a a horror movie that can still be entertaining and right just and it trash.
1: and it is entertaining if for the wrong reasons sometimes mm-hmm. but i i i think that it has enough enjoyable aspects about it to you know still still do something for you even though it definitely drops the ball in the third act and mm. uh it has way too many jump scares um ben what about you okay before i rate it what
2: would you consider half a mom? Is it the top half or the bottom half? That's a good question. I was or, thinking or is it left split, to right or is it split yeah. down the middle.
1: Yeah. Is half a mom a ghost mom?
2: Oh, that's that's what it is. Okay, so I would rate this two moms and a ghost mom. So okay. two and a half. So two and All a right. half? It had some effective moments, but it was very dated for me and it never pushed itself out of kind of the generic mid-2000s horror movie for me i think you're right to its own detriment
1: yes yeah, so two and a half two and a ghost mama from from the three of us it's a grand total of 2.8 moms oh shit a mama missing her left arm
0: so there we go perfect
2: so the next movie we want to talk about is serial mom serial mom directed Cereal by mom. the legendary pervert uh john waters john This was 1994. It's all about this mother uh, played by Kathleen Turner. Uh, She's a housewife to a general suburban nice family.
1: Very 50s era nuclear family. Yes,
2: absolutely. Matthew Lillard is the son. I can't remember the... Guy who
1: plays the dad, Sam Wat Sam- Waterston. Yeah, Sam Waterston. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff, but yeah. he's he's got he's the a, eyebrows. He's a he's character. The eyebrow, man. Yeah. yeah,
2: eyebrows. <laughs> she is secretly just causing havoc in the neighborhood. In a way, she secretly calls one of her neighbors and just berates her in kind of a crank call, talking mad shit. The neighbor is kind of freaking out, but she has no idea who it could be. She she accidentally
1: kills someone for the first kill. Oh no, she she definitely runs dude over on purpose. Oh yeah, okay. It's um, because it's, the teacher's talking trash about about her, her son. Kid. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. About, so, played by he's, Matthew. He's Matthew Lillard. Lillard's uh, math teacher, and Matthew Lillard is a uh, is a, uh, a big horror, horror
0: movie, a buff. horror
1: movie obsessive, mm-hmm. um, much like ourselves. And uh, his teacher thinks that. His obsession with horror movies and blood and gore are affecting his studies, and so uh, Kathleen Turner uh, decides the only uh, proper recourse for somebody talking shit about her son is to run him the fuck over with her car. And from there, she gets a
2: bit of a bloodlust and starts enjoying killing people. So throughout the movie, she just kills more and more people. Anybody
1: who slights her family in even the tiniest way is on her list. And it, it gets to a point where she does not even care if she gets caught. I, I think it's important to mention that she has a particular aversion to chewing gum, She kills a lot of people who are chewing gum like that's that's the final straw that pushes her over the edge into killing the math teacher is when he takes out a stick of gum and puts it in his mouth and starts chewing. That's what really, really pushes her over the edge. It's just so blasé chewing gum.
2: Yeah, no. And uh, she does get caught. Um, I don't feel bad about saying that.
1: No, this movie came out in nineteen ninety four. Yeah, we're, if we're not worried about spoilers well for mama. Spoilers okay. Zone.
2: Um but the the interesting thing John Waters does with it is it's not like Oh, she's guilty. He kind of just embraces it. He has the family, you know, making t-shirts and memorabilia. Everyone is on her side in a way.
1: Well, I think it's it's actually uh it, it's, you know, a pretty clever commentary on sort of the uh the morbid fascination we have in America with serial killers, you know. And how we, you know, people will fall in love with serial killers and send them letters in jail and stuff. And she's she becomes and how these killers become, you know, celebrities in their in their own sort of twisted way. That's definitely what serial mom becomes, you know. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And she's really into Charles Manson
1: in the movie. She's been reading Helter Skelter and all kinds of stuff about the Manson family. I, I found myself pretty jolted
0: by, uh, I guess, around the beginning of the third act when it ends up turning into some sort of, like, courtroom drama.
1: Yeah. Because she gets
0: caught, and they take her
1: in, they arrest her. But then she decides to represent herself. Yeah, she fires her lawyer because he tries to put in a plea of of guilty and tries to plead insanity for her. And she fires him and starts trying to defend herself and saying that she could not have done any of these murders. And she manages to convince the jury that she is innocent, which is super funny. It's
2: a really jarring transition to the courtroom drama stuff. But the thing is, it's so funny. All of that stuff is really It's, it's absurd, yeah. Well, that yeah, well, that's stuff is absurd. It gets a pass in my book just because it's, it's oh, so absolutely. comedic.
1: Right, because, uh, I mean, she's, she's made... Like, the police have been on to her from basically the beginning. They've just been trying to build a case against her. And the way she frees herself is by... Basically, discrediting all of the witnesses in various ways, you know? It's a real my cousin Vinny
0: sort of situation. Yes.
1: Very much. But yeah, and then we even get the part where uh, her son and his girlfriend, uh, who's named Birdie, uh, like take her to the video store where they work and like hide her because they think it's so cool that she's a serial killer. It's just like in the horror movies they watch and they love. Until they actually witness her murdering somebody with a leg of lamb, which I think is one of the best scenes in that fucking movie where the lady is like watching uh, little orphan Annie and she comes (laughs) with the knife and then she decides that the knife isn't good enough. So she goes back into the kitchen and grabs the leg of lamb and beats her to death with that. And it's so funny. And it's at that point that uh, Matthew Lillard and Bertie are like, it's not like in the horror movies. It's like it's real.
2: (laughs) No, I found that hilarious. That was definitely one of the best scenes. John Waters does such good camp where everything is over the top and ridiculous, but it's so funny that you kind of just have to embrace it. It doesn't feel low budget at any time. I'm sure it is low budget, But it doesn't feel like DIY, like Pink Flamingos or any of his very early stuff. Right. Um, It feels very constructed um, Mm -hmm. in a good way.
1: I agree with that, for Um, sure.
2: Which I think elevates the camp in a lot of ways. It makes it feel more in this world that he creates
1: yeah, well, I mean, it is extremely campy, and you know, it's it definitely isn't a straightforward horror movie. It definitely um, rides that horror comedy line because uh, it is it is a very funny movie, and I think in that regard, it is very successful. It's especially with the stuff in the beginning, with just how over the top uh, like these these very proper upper middle class families are. You know, a lot of it is like an after school special you know you you mentioned something there would you guys consider this a horror movie because it definitely rides the line i wouldn't consider it scary at all but i would definitely put it into uh the slasher genre and so in that way i will say i say yes it is a horror film just because it is a slasher film but it's it's definitely a horror comedy and then you've got that weird uh courtroom drama at the end which i think still works because it is very funny. Yeah. Thematically, it's definitely a horror movie, yes. but I don't know about as a whole. What it's, do you think? Usually? It's not scary. Well,
0: it, sure. the tone of it reminds me a lot of uh, another movie, Fido, which yeah. also has a very 50s aesthetic. It's a a comedy for the most part, but it, it's a zombie movie as well. There are moments in there where they do show gore and, and violence and everything, but I feel like it always leans closer to a comedy than anything else. And I would feel the same way with this movie where... It does have a lot of influence from horror films and is telling a horror movie style plot, but I feel like it's definitely a comedy through and through. Yeah, I I would agree.
1: It definitely has the sensibilities of a horror movie. But I think
2: we're pretty much all in agreement. This is a good movie. Yes, this is yeah, no, certainly, a really certainly good very movie. enjoyable.
1: All right, uh, shall we? Uh, shall we rate this one and move on? We got one sure. more, yeah. Uh, yeah, to get um, through before we get to our game of the week.
2: So yeah, Serial uh, Mom, very effective, really hits like thematic ideas of American obsession with mass murder and violence mm-hmm. as a whole. Um, really good movie really fun
1: hilarious movie a wild um, ride for sure in a different I, way that mother is but uh i much more enjoyable I, I would
2: give this movie a solid four out of five four pods out of five
1: i'm gonna i'm gonna agree with you spot on on that one four
0: out of five for me too I'm gonna do a three and a half because while i still i did enjoy everything for the same reasons as you guys did I still feel like uh that's as far as it may go for me I, I think it is a lot of fun to watch, but I think that it can it really drags during the courtroom procedural part because it just feels so out of left field. It, it becomes a bit of a bore after a while. So that's, that's
2: right. a total of what three point eight?
0: Three
1: point eight. I can do 5. math now. Of, yeah, you <laughs> Three point eight out of five pods.
0: I will be starting off this next movie. This is Mother's Day. It was made in 1980, and it was produced by Troma Entertainment, the legendary production company behind such great exploitation films such as Toxic Avenger, Class of Nukem High, Tromeo and Juliet, they have a lot under their belt, and they have a very specific message. I think to a lot of their movies, and it's just a to be wildish and gory and sexual and just just something freaky. Now, Mother's Day doesn't hit a lot of those high marks that their later films would, like Toxic Avenger. But it certainly still is a very gory and wild film. To start it off, it begins with a mother going to church, or no, it's just some like it's like some, some uh, a weird cult,
1: yeah. Yeah, like weird culty, like a uh, self-help seminar Yeah, right. this movie
0: starts
2: off super weird. Yeah, very strange.
0: Very, very, very strange. There are a bunch of hippies and whatnot there, and then the mother gets a ride back from these two hippies, and you find out that these hippies are murderers as well, and you see them preparing to tie up a rope around her neck when the car breaks down. But then there's a twist. It turns out that she's a murderer as well. So already, already off the bat, 100% of the people we have seen in that scene are murderers. 100%
1: murderers. 100% yes. all
0: the way. And then it completely changes to the story of these three girls who... College roommates. Oh, these college roommates that get together every year to spend a weekend alone with each other in the woods. Yeah, to, to relive
1: their uh, their college days and keep their friendships tight.
0: Right. So at this point, they're all a little older. They're all a little distant from each other. And so this is the time they get to enjoy each other's company. And it begins with the basic thing you'd see in a lot of slasher movies where they're out in the woods, where they're playing pranks on each other, just grabbing people from behind talking. They're enjoying themselves. And in a scene, which I actually haven't seen in a horror movie like that, where they're having their bonding moment and connecting and right in the middle of it they get kidnapped. It doesn't give any time for that to resolve. They don't get kidnapped at night. They just jump off screen and capture them in their sleeping bags.
1: I yeah, I thought that was really great. Like yeah. you get that you have this really uh sentimental bonding moment where the one girl is like I I've never said thank you to you guys for what did she say? Being something? my friend, I mean, yeah, friends. for Which, being my friend, bad friends, and, friends, and helping that shouldn't me, be. and helping me, uh, like realize my true potential and like making me the person that I want to be or something like that. So it's like you're getting this really like sickly sweet sentimental moment, and then out of nowhere, um, the the evil mother's uh, two dimwitted sons. Uh, just jump from off screen and just uh, tie them up in their sleeping bags and drag them back to the house. Just no warning. Yes. I thought that was I thought that was really effective. Totally pulls the rug under. Oh it's yeah that 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 is fantastic. Like we, because... Before that they show like the the typical like uh uh you know Halloween Friday the thirteenth thing where we see that they're being watched from the trees or whatever uh that first person view with the <sighs> like heavy breathing or whatever that's so tried and true in uh slasher movies so like we know that they're in danger but the the moment where they actually uh are attacked comes out of nowhere oh yeah i i like that a lot it uh subverted the trope
0: now this is the part for me where the movie really begins to lose me because they get taken over to this house where the mother is there and uh, what the guy's name was Cletus and Betus or whatever. Uh, I think are.
1: it was uh it was Ike and Adley. Ike and Adley. I, Ike I was, the, was close. The, the the big one with the gross teeth and the uh milky eye and then Adley was the the long haired one. Ike and Adley. Okay.
0: Alright so yeah when Cletus and Betus are attacking <laughs> the girls and Yeah, they're 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 harassing them, they're they're messing with them it really doesn't go much of anywhere. I think at that point is the pure exploitational part of the film where it's just, oh, let's see what, what twisted things we can get them to all do.
1: And that goes on for a little while. Yeah. Eventually. I'm, I agree with you. That was that was one of the least effective parts for me because it's like the the mom like sets up her lawn chair outside or whatever and has her boys like reenact these like very specific like rape scenarios with one of the girls like they force her to like sit on a park bench and one of them comes over and like pretends to talk to her and then like grabs her or whatever and they're just going through all these really weird like pre-planned kidnap and rape scenarios and that whole thing just it felt really weird to me i was not a fan of that it it felt
2: like they were playing trying to play for spooks and be scary at that point there were like hints of spookiness in that scene but it wasn't consistent
1: i think when this movie came out is pretty significant because it was coming relatively hot on the heels of movies like Deliverance where these city folks go out into the wilderness and are attacked by these like backwards rednecks so it's like very much a product of cinema of its time but whereas Deliverance plays it more straight this is just like really trying to be as out there and exploitational as possible in true trauma fashion right yeah and so it definitely knows what it's trying
0: to do it begins to lose a lot of its steam at that point after the the night that they have where they're getting uh that that one girl gets gets raped the the other girls they try to escape which i i thought was pretty interesting one of them is put in a sleeping bag and then uh shimmy down but turns out one of the one of the brothers, Beatus, is walking around there and he doesn't look up. And it's pretty crazy because it's not like it's hidden or anything, the sleeping bag. It's just hanging
1: over his head like a foot above. I thought and I thought that was notice. actually a pretty successfully uh tense scene though. Oh, uh, I agree. It's like, yeah, yeah the, the one girl is lowering the other girl down in her sleeping bag and one of the brothers comes around the corner and he's like lingering and like she can't pull it back up and the rope is like cut. Yes. Really yeah, and that that was painful hand. to watch. Ooh, yeah, that made me cringe because in like they the they best even way. they show like it starts cutting in like and the skin is wrapped around the rope. Yeah, like really like great practical effects, really gross, really visceral, and I could just like it was just watching that was just like making my hands ache. Like I was, and it goes on for such a long time too. I thought that was one of the most successful. Yeah, it moments was, Yeah, in the movie. super
2: super effective. Ouch.
1: And then after, yeah. and then after that, or no, it's like right before that. Actually, we get this, uh, this weird play on like, a, like a Rocky style training montage, where the mom is like training the sons how to be more successful at like kidnapping and murder and they're doing like these obstacle courses and like all of these really silly exercises and like the my favorite part is where the the one is uh is just hacking at a uh like a baby doll oh my god with a machete on the porch like just (laughs) like chopping up this baby doll like really like vigorously and it's just so silly yes
0: no certainly very strange to see in this movie and uh Again, it all works up to what trauma is and what they try and do. I thought all of that worked pretty well. But the ending ends up being really disappointing. They manage to break out. They end up killing Cletus and Beatus. They end up killing both of those guys. One, they they hatchet him right in the nuts. Right in the Uh, balls, yeah. yeah, Right in the balls. The other one, they make drink Drano and... uh, And then smash a TV over his
1: head. That action scene is pretty good where yeah so they escape, they rescue their friend who's been raped. they're trying oh, yeah, to shoved inside like a like a dresser in a, in a, yeah in a in a dresser drawer in the boy's bedroom um and this house is we need to talk about the art direction in this house. it's just like spray painted all over the walls, just like absolutely trashed like the grossest nastiest house, but also in the funniest way it's like uh It's like if the the house from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was designed by, like, an (laughs) eight-year-old. I loved it, though. No, I loved it, too. Like the breakfast scene when it's just covered with shit, and
2: they leave the table by just, like, walking walking across the
1: table and stomping on it. Yeah, I thought that was really, really funny, too. But so, yeah, they rescue their friend. They try to escape the woods. Their friend dies out in the woods, and so they say, "Hey, let's uh, let's get revenge for our our dead friend." So they decide to go back and and kill uh, Cletus and Betus and and their uh, twisted mother. And at
0: that point, when they go and confront the mother, there's a nice little uh, reincorporation. The knife in the back gag that one of the characters did to her friend in uh, beginning of the movie, uses it again to trick the mother into thinking that she was stabbed by one of her sons. And then we get this scene where one of the girls is, is suffocating the mom with, with a pair of inflatable breasts. So, we see earlier that she has a very overbearing mom. We never see her on screen. We just hear her yelling. And
1: so we get this very... I'm a sick woman! I'm a sick woman! It sounded like a, a dude yelling It did sound it like a dude. I think it was a dude. Yeah. <laughs> it was of going the yeah. <laughs> Um... But yeah, no, I thought that was a really good callback too.
0: Right, to show that uh a lot of the overbearingness of mothers and that this main character had her own issues that she was dealing with, and so she releases it
1: on this mom. Yeah. And it just Well, right, as she's as she's suffocating the evil mom with this uh pair of inflatable titties. Um, she like keeps hearing her own mother's voice in her head and she starts talking to the evil mom like she's her own mom. So it's like, she's acting out all of her frustrations on her own overbearing mother by killing this other, like, crazy mom.
0: Right. And at that point, I felt really bad for the friend of that character because she probably thought, oh, crap, I'm just surrounded by crazy people everywhere. I mean, besides her, everyone else on the screen was a murderer. So, Right.
2: I thought it was a really cool way of retextualizing that scene. I think so, too. Like, Whereas it would just be like, oh, yeah, they did it. Hooray. It's a little more bittersweet and complex, yes. and I really have to give yeah, it's, them it's, props. For it's kind
1: of it's kind of twisted in a way, and I I think it it gives some some nice context to the characters and a bit of motivation too. You know, other yeah. than just your typical uh, revenge yeah. story. I mean, which it is, but it it adds a little bit extra to it that i think uh really elevates it past that generic revenge story you feel
2: bad for her in a way um where you wouldn't otherwise especially since throughout the rest of the movie the girls are kind of the worst
1: oh god they're so bad especially to their one friend who ends up getting like raped to death yeah they're so rude to her the whole movie (laughs) they're always just like like Man, life really always takes a dump on you, doesn't it? Like life is really always so shitty for you, and like they're just so fucking mean. To right? Her. It's like the
0: the last point when they see their friend because she's already dead, and they're saying goodbye to her body. They say something like, "Life always beat you down
1: everywhere it turned. <laughs> it, it didn't seem like she was off that poorly. No, before, like we so. never. The only the only context for that we get is that." at the beginning her boyfriend is like a piece of shit which, and he steals money out of her which holy shit purse or he whatever.
0: immediately shows himself to be one of the just scummiest characters I've ever seen on yeah. film because first off he does the jumps fake jump scare where he grabs her from behind except this is like actually very aggressive very like, rapey like yeah, yeah very like rapey. very incredibly like just gripping her face and everything and then when it calms down rather than him just oh I'm just playing around he ends up just being a fucking yeah, asshole just a douche he, just... Up, he steals the money he's just and like, then he's like hey
1: I could never work a day in my life yeah he's like I'm I'm really jealous. Jealous of you because you have a nine to five job. I could never work a job like that because I'm I'm a sensitive artist. I just can't do it. Oh yeah, right. So, He's he, just, so, an so he just so he just so he just steals uh, like fifty he, bucks. He steals like fifty bucks out of her purse like right before she leaves, and and then just like sits on the couch in like his shorts. And just snorts a bunch of cocaine. Oh, yes. Also, right. I, I didn't bring this up when we were watching this movie, but honestly, I don't think anybody who made this movie has ever done cocaine before. Because, oh, because right, the guy I mean, at the pool party, he snorts it and then, every, like... And, like, passes out. Yeah. Like, everybody <laughs> who does cocaine in this movie, like they at, right after they snort it it's like they get really drowsy and sleepy right it's like, unless of course that guy was actually having an
0: overdose and which just- could have been
1: <laughs> but like the 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 boyfriend like snorts that line of coke and he has his drink and then he lays down on the couch and goes to sleep guys right. they're just snorting ketamine just- oh <laughs> no, there we go you're right that it's makes not sense coke. they're it's just falling into k-hole k. <laughs> it's
2: <just> special k <laughs> I almost wish the baseball scene, the baseball field scene...
1: Right, the flashback, where they, where they get revenge scenes, on one of her bad to boyfriends be honest, or whatever.
2: One of my favorite scenes. I really like the use of I Think We're Alone Now, that song. Yeah. It was like the only time they use music in it, really. Like popular music. I thought it was really effective. But I almost feel like they should have combined those two characters. The new boyfriend and that boyfriend... And it would have given it a bit more of a payoff. Uh, yeah, I think so, too. But, oh, man, that seems one of the
1: best, in my opinion. You have that douchey baseball boyfriend. He's like, yeah, let's uh, let's bang on, on the pitcher's mound. I've always wanted to fuck on a baseball field or whatever. <laughs> he gets nude and starts doing push-ups. Just to <laughs> yeah, he his starts body. doing push-ups <laughs> naked. And so they turn on all the lights, and then he runs off. Yeah, I thought that scene was pretty funny, too. Yeah.
0: Man, but... It's a lot of birds. Yeah. Man, y'all wow. hear those birds?
1: Invasion. Fucking it's like, tweet, is this tweet. an Alfred Hitchcock movie? Yeah, they They're going after it. Ignore, ignore Wrong episode. Fuck heads. Yeah, do this for our Hitchcock episode. For our birds remake um, episode. But
0: I think where it decided to cop out on an ending is that there is a scene, very quickly, where they describe that the mother has a twin sister or a sister of some sort's That was supposed to be evil and got driven out into the swamp. And they
1: only mentioned that once. In well, I mean, movie. they they only really talk about her once, but they the mom keeps mentioning like the boys can't go off and do their own thing because she needs them to protect her from Queenie. So we don't find out who Queenie is until like almost at the end of the movie where we get some exposition that it's like her evil sister right. and then was like driven out into the woods and who lives like a uh, like a feral person and there's not really much pay off for that oh no not I... at all
0: in fact I think it it's the it, it ruins the
1: because they use it as the ending well, right, Weird. yeah, okay. So after they kill after they kill the boys and the mom, they're like, "Yay, we did it, we're good!" So they leave the house and go out into the woods. And right at the end, they're immediately attacked by this like bigfoot monster who's supposed to be like the evil sister. I I'm not gonna lie, I actually thought that was great. Yeah, I, I thought I, it I was loved, hilarious. I thought, I thought that it was
2: really funny. I thought that
1: was an awesome ending. Like, and it just like she jumps out of the bushes at them, and then it cuts to the credits. Like, that's the end it, of the movie. It, like, freeze
2: frames and goes to yellow.
1: Yep, well, yeah. <laughs> see, I... No, it's certainly all it ridiculous. Cut, it, it took me by surprise. It definitely took yeah, me by surprise. I well, see, it,
0: it didn't it. take me, because as soon as they brought it up and the movie did not end after she murdered the mom. It's like, Oh God, are they actually going to just end it on that note? And they did. And I I thought it just seems like a weird thing to add in when everything else worked fine without that in the movie. I I did like that it it didn't give it a happy ending though. Well, okay. Yeah, sure. That I can understand that, but I think it all just plays into that. It's so exploitational, It just does whatever it likes. And so to just bring it to that point where they get killed by this, monster character that we've only heard talked about a couple times and then just pops out of nowhere at the end of the movie just it felt like they could have found another stranger way to try and finish up this film maybe maybe it doesn't
1: i i thought it i thought it worked pretty well because there's this you know aspect of is 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 the mom, like, crazy? Is she imagining that her sister's out there or not? Like, is it all in her head? And I don't just find much of her? that
0: very interesting, though. I mean, she was crazy enough just being a crazy mom. It didn't need to be, really, because there was some... Which creature sister? Well, right, but we woods. but
1: we wonder if that she's using it as an excuse to like keep her sons with her and not let them like go out into the world and do their own thing. She's like, you can't, ne- you can never leave me because if Queenie's around, she's gonna kill me. So then the sons at a certain point are like. Well, is that really real, or do you just not want to let us go? So it adds that aspect of the overbearing mother and whether it's like in her head or not. And then we, f- and so we think, oh, yeah, it must be in her head. And then at the very last second, we find out, no, it's not. And I, that's why it works for me. Yeah. But I, I definitely, I understand where you're coming from because it is such, like, a minor plot point of the rest of the movie. Yeah, and it then just it feels just feels like it comes out of nowhere at the end. Yeah, a strange cop-out that they did not use in a very
0: effective way. They could have... It, it would have been... I would have appreciated more if they... Maybe the the creature attacks once the sons are dead, and then it's, it's not just about killing that mom, which... I mean, it ends without much of a challenge, but where they have to deal with this monster now, too, I think it would maybe have the felt monster like, would
1: kill the monster. I think it would have felt like more of a cop-out if they had thrown in the monster, like, towards the end as, like, an additional uh, Rather challenge. Rather than ending over- the whole movie in yeah, five seconds? Yeah, 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 I think so, because the movie's not about that, you know? It's just a way for them to subvert your expectation at the very end and take away the, the happy ending, that they have, you know, it's like it's just like a, a little added effect. It's not like a plot point that they try to make something out of. Well, I guess I develop. can get it with that that level
0: of irreverence. I guess where you can just you, you know end the movie however you want. Sure, it it works in that sense, but I think that it's it's disappointing for me.
1: Okay, so well, no, that's totally fair. Um, shall we rate this?
0: Yeah, I appreciate all of the subversive craziness behind the movie it began to drag for me uh, around the middle and for me I thought the ending was disappointing and just it was a missed opportunity to try and do something better
1: with the things that they had set up so for me I think I'm gonna have to give it a two and a half um I'm gonna give it a uh three and a half I I agree with you that it dragged in the middle and there was definitely times where I started to get bored and was like okay come on let's let's move it along here And it also didn't quite reach the batshit insane level that I would expect out of a trauma film. So I think 3.5, entertaining, plenty of fun stuff, good practical effects, solid effort, but especially the the middle could use a little tightening up.
2: Yeah, I would actually rate it the same. I would rate it 3.5. The things it does well, it does really well. I think of the hand scene where it, she holds the sleeping bag over i thought that was incredibly tense mm-hmm. uh, really really effective i thought the art design of the house was great the character design was really good a lot of the subversions of expectations they did was pretty effective and i actually found the abduction stuff scary in a way great trauma movie god bless you lloyd kaufman you're God, you're a genius. You're one of the greatest things to ever happen to indie cinema.
1: Although this was directed by Charles Kaufman. His brother. Not Lloyd Kaufman. His brother. but His brother, who got I, his start in directing softcore pornography. I
2: will say, though, that being under the Troma name is important. Great movie, great movie. Three and a half out of five
1: pods So that me. brings our average to a nice round three out of five pods for Mother's Day. And that wraps up our retrospectives on Bad Mom Movies. Do we want to give some awards?
2: Yes, the Bad Mama Awards. The Bad Mama Awards. Bad Mama Award. Okay. All right. So first us, off... Yeah, you want to uh, lead us in the categories, Ben? Yeah, so let's start off with, out of those four movies, which was the most entertaining to each of you?
1: Um, For me entertaining uh definitely serial mom definitely serial how mom. about
2: you eugene
1: uh i think i'm gonna have to say serial mom as well all right and i would
2: actually agree i almost would say mother but serial mom was so funny that i have to go with it all right I mean, so
1: serial mom by a landslide yeah so yeah. most
2: entertaining goes to serial mom how about scariest um this is one we might differ on a
1: little yeah bit. i think we probably will i i I didn't find any of these movies particularly scary. I think if I had to pick a scariest, it would be Mama. Um, jump scares aside, just some of the uh, the atmospheric stuff and like the the you know more subtle, creepy tension building. I I think was definitely scarier than any of these other films. How about you, Eugene?
0: Uh, no, I think I'd have to agree as well with Matisse that. A lot of the other choices that we had weren't exactly super scary. Uh, Mama is the one that really is just trying to be a uh, straight horror movie. And so I'm going to have to give it to Mama just on that.
2: Man, I would disagree. I would go with Mother's Day. Mother's Day had the scariest moments and the most tense moments, in my opinion. Okay. And it didn't rely on jump scares in nearly the same way as Mama. Oh, for sure. And in that respect, I found it don't, scarier. Don't so. get me
1: don't get me wrong. I do not think Mama is the scariest because of the jump scares. It is in spite of the jump scares. Okay. Because as I've said multiple times, jump scares are not scary. They are startling. They have no lasting effect. Yeah. Um, for me, Mother's Day was just a little bit too cheesy to really be frightening. I loved it, like cheesy in a good way. But I was never particularly frightened or disturbed by it. That's fair. Um, so I guess Mama wins that one with two out of three votes. Sure. Now
2: going on to best scene. What was the best scene of any of the movies? I'll let you start, Eugene, if you know.
0: Well, uh, I think I would have to choose the sleeping bag and rope scene from Mother's Day. I thought that one was done well. It had tension, suspense, and a good... Uh, Go uh, practical effects behind it as well that really made you feel just the rope sliding between her hands. I thought that was uh, very well done. I really want to go
2: with that, but I also really like the crank call scene in Serial Mom. It, it stand out to that me one of the best. Too. I think I'll have to go with the sleeping bag scene as well. I thought the practical effects were amazing. Really good and unexpected for a movie that was so, so low budget
1: definitely made me squirm incredibly for sure. yeah.
2: effective
1: um i think i will uh, i will also agree with you guys my my second place would have to be the um the leg of lamb murder scene from serial mom <laughs> uh while where she beats the lady to death who is singing along with little orphan annie i thought that scene was really really funny and the fact that she goes back for the leg of lamb instead of the knife but Overall, I'm going to agree with you guys and we'll give it a three across the board uh, sleeping bag scene from
2: Mother's Day. So next going on, we have best art direction and I'll start this one off. Okay, Um, I would definitely go with Mother's Day. I think because of the house, how it's so well designed and constructed and so gross feeling that it really does it for me as a whole and makes it el- it elevates the low budget feel of the movie
1: while i do agree with you i'm going to go with the underdog and say mother hmm. a movie which i otherwise did not enjoy particularly But especially in that third act when the house starts to be destroyed and they're setting up these, like, various altars of worship towards Javier Bardem's character. And then you get the people in cages and, like, all of this different stuff. There's such, like, so much great variety in that part of the movie alone. And I think it's visually very stunning. So I'm going to say Mother. Wow. Eugene?
0: Well... I think I am going to have to pick Mama just because I really like the design of the creature. So that's the one that really does it for me. I think that, well, if if Mama were a better movie, I think Mama could have been one of the new movie monsters if it didn't suffer from a, a lackluster story. So, All awesome! Right. So we split the we board have, a little we bit. We have a
1: three-way tie. No, right. no conclusive
0: winner on that one. That's okay. So,
2: best bad mama. I guess you can't really say Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, is a That one doesn't, no, doesn't.
1: So really she's count.
0: automatically kind of her. The her, running. her baby got murdered. She yeah, I guess. Yeah, nice. that does make you a bad mom.
1: <laughs> yeah, but not really <laughs> through any fault of her own. And she avenges the baby pretty, pretty spectacularly. So I. I would say unless either of you really think Jennifer Lawrence no. is the best bad mom then we can just take mother out of the, run, yeah. Out of yeah. the yeah. running. That's yeah, that's fine. Well, well, Turner, Kathleen yeah. Oh, Turner. Yeah, there we go. Landslide. That's an easy one. Yeah. Man, she is just a great character and such a good bad mom. I loved everything about her character. I've, I have that one's an easy one, I think. Yeah. Easy. Fantastic. Kathleen Turner in Serial Mom. And finally,
2: uh best overall film. And I think we pretty much have an agreement, you know, looking at our ratings our for the ratings. other movies. I
1: think, yeah, Serial Mom.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, Serial Mom. So we have a definitive list there. I mean, I mean, we can probably post this list in the show notes if anyone yeah. wants to see what movies you should check out.
1: Definitely. And we'll post our uh, our uh, average rating between the three of us. I'd say there's definitely something to be gained from all four of these movies that we've talked about, but they also could cater to very, very different audiences. So keep that in mind when checking these out.
2: All right. Let's move on to the game section. All right. Game time I will this be is what the I've host. I'm
1: looking, looking forward um, to So
2: the premise of this segment all is. Right. I have uh, international titles for a few movies, and I will give you guys four options on what the actual movie will be, and you guys have to decide. And the winner winner does get to pick an additional review... That the loser has to review next podcast solo, and they can be as punishing as re- or as rewarding to each other as they
1: want. Can it be any movie? I mean, any, any movie, horror movie, any movie, um, any movie that relates to our theme. You want to um, keep it thematic? Yes, I think we can do it. that. I think, we can okay, do that. There's usually
2: enough I got one, movies. I got
0: one selected already. Oh, I so. got two. All right. I got two. Someone's All right. watching
2: smiley. <laughs> um. <laughs> the first movie is a movie called the devil's seed in Spain. Is it A, Carrie, B, Rosemary's Baby, C, Bad Seed, <laughs> or 4, Mother and Eugene? Hmm. What do you think it is?
0: I feel like we went over this one before. Maybe it was a different title, but I think if I if I did have to choose, I'm going to choose what I remember being correct. I'm going to have to choose number 1, Carrie. I'm also going to say Carrie.
1: Er, Oh, fuck. (laughs) It's
2: Rosemary's Baby.
1: Uh, Damn it. That would have been the most obvious. Yeah, that seems too obvious. I was trying trying to go with uh, something a little different. I can't make it easy
2: for you guys. I got to trick you up a little bit. Eh, Okay. All right. Uh, So number two. A long night at Camp Blood. Is it a sleepaway camp? B, Lake Placid, C, Wet Hot American Summer, what? <laughs> left field choice, or D, Friday
0: the 13th. Now my gut, my gut is telling me to choose Wet Hot American Summer, but <laughs> I'm going to go against it, and I'm going to do Friday the 13th.
1: I was going to say Friday the 13th too, but um, I just to make things a little more interesting, I'm going to say Sleepaway Camp. It is actually... Friday the thirteenth. Hey, like yeah. I should've I should have gone with my gut and then we Man. both would have gotten it. Alright, go. right. I'm in the lead. All right, one So now, now we fuck.
2: have one more and then a tiebreaker if we need it. Number three. The pages of horror. Is it A the Baba Duke? B in the mouth of madness C Evil Dead or D the Exorcist? I'll let you start, Matisse.
1: Okay. Um, I've actually seen all of these movies. Um, and I am going to take a slightly left field guess, and I'm going to say that it's In the Mouth of Madness. I am
0: gonna to have to go with Evil Dead.
1: Ah, oh, fuck! Are we it's both wrong? Babadook. The Babadook. The yeah. Babadook? Oh, come on! Spooky. There's the bedtime book there. story. Oh, come yeah. on! All right, that's a bad one. All right. Damn. Do you want to play the the bonus one? Yeah, that fuck I have? It. let's okay. do let's ah, do the bonus. So, so then what
0: th- happens if you get it? We're gonna have to choose another one. Well,
2: okay. Let's just say Eugene. We'll wins, say Eugene
1: wins. We'll say Eugene wins. But we'll just do this one for fun. Okay. All right. If so- I had if I had gone with my gut and chosen Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> For the last
2: one. The fun part about the tiebreaker is there's a selection from each of the previous ones. Oh, hey. Um, So the the title is The Night the Screaming Stops. (laughs) 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 Is it A, The Babadook, B, Possession, C,
1: Sleepaway Camp, or D, Carrie? Well, it seems unlikely that it's The Babadook, considering that that's the page (laughs) of horror, apparently, (laughs) Um, huh. This is a tough one. I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Sleepaway away camp again. Maybe I'll be right this time. I'm going to have to say possession. I don't know that one. So
0: I'm just taking a leap on that. Well, you're correct again. Oh, so. fuck it's yeah. possession?
1: Really? <laughs> yep. Fuck, I'm oh, bad yeah. at this game. Possession. Ooh, I should be better at this. Well, okay, if the, if anything, that definitively makes Eugene the winner for sure. Yep, absolutely. Hey, uh, so,
2: Eugene, what movie is Matisse watching oh, and reviewing all right, next well,
0: week? I feel like to tell him what movie, should I mention a bit about what our theme is going yes. to be next week? Okay, so for our next episode, we are going to be watching the new release, Friend Request. And we decided to form our show based on the internet and the horrors behind it and... The horrors of the World Wide Web. Exactly. And see what happens when ghosts go viral. And for Matisse... I'm going to do something, A uh, it it is about the internet, the dangers of the internet, nothing supernatural, but I've just heard so much about it and I'm going to have to see if Matisse is interested in it and likes it, maybe, I'm going to have to recommend a Megan is Missing.
1: Megan is missing. Okay, I have actually never seen that, so okay. that will be that will be new for me. Fantastic! You're there you go. you're very lucky that I lost because I was gonna make you watch VHS Viral. Oh which my is god! Bad, bad, oh, man. bad. Movie. Well, thank. I would have made you both watch Smiley. That movie looks <laughs> atrocious. <laughs> yeah, but it can't be any worse than VHS Viral. Okay, so Megan is missing. Okay. Megan okay. is missing. All okay. right. Well, so. we have one. Um,
2: I will uh, give. An idea of what the next week's or next podcast game will be okay um just so you have a little heads up next week uh two weeks from now two weeks from now i keep saying next week um the next game i'll give you three web-based movie titles and you guys have to pitch a movie based on the title to me
0: okay and
2: i will pick
1: whoever gives the best pitch all right. I love it.
2: I think that's about it, guys. That's, I think that that's wraps up the
1: podcast. our inaugural episode. Goodbye! Thank you well hang on (laughs) thank you so much for listening to the first episode of pod people if you enjoyed this podcast um please share it with your friends on social media word of mouth whatever we want to we want to get people in here enjoying horror movies with us and if you're not a fan of horror movies well Maybe we can uh, change your mind. Maybe Make we you can laugh point you, a little bit. Point you in the direction of some horror movies that you might like.
2: Um, so yeah, you can listen to us on SoundCloud. We're Hopefully going to get on to Spotify's podcast section and Apple podcast, as well as Stitcher and RSS and all that jazz. We still have to figure out a lot of that stuff, but it it's coming. It's- we'll
1: for sure be on SoundCloud. Yes. So follow us on SoundCloud, and as we spread to other platforms, we will keep you posted, and you can follow us there. Yep, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at
0: Mister Sheets, And
1: you can follow me on Twitter at
0: mr van awesome and i do not have a personal twitter but if you're in the mood for some wonderful haikus for the modern age you can check out strictly haiku and that is my twitter so be sure to check it out if you're looking for something short quick easy and
1: profound thank you so much again for listening i am matisse van Rossum. have a spooky night guys. Well, aren't you guys gonna gonna say your names too Ooh, there's no one else here. It's been you all along. <laughs> oh shit! Am I
0: been talking to myself? Oh, we're fucking ghosts. I am Ben Sheets' ghost, and I am Eugene
1: Lundeen's ghost. Oh god.
0: <laughs> well, and...
1: we'll catch you next time. Stay spooked. Ooh.